0: with for Communication Lab is provided by Emphasis, world leaders in business writing training. For free resources and course information, go to
1: www.writing-skills.com. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3 of Communication Lab. I'm Andy White and I'm with Rob Ashton. And joining us on the line from Wisconsin live is Mr. David Levin. Hello David. Hello. So in today's episode, we are going to um, cover a few particular aspects. Uh, David, you're going to chip in whenever you want. Backlash against Britishisms, which is something that I know that there was a recent blog post about, wasn't there, Rob? Yeah, this was on Slate.com, where
0: um, Ben Yagoda has um, has alleged that there's a real backlash in the US against um, the, the Briti- Britishism, it's easy for me to say, British isms. Britishism invasion. Um, are you aware of this, David? I am not. <laughs> that was news to me. Nah. Well, um, how much is it news? Basically, it's some guy writing on a blog. But uh, here in the UK, we are prone, I have to admit, to complaining about Americanisms. And uh, I think, to be fair to Ben, he, he's written this uh, this answer, the, the American answer to this, which is that the, the American language or American English is just as prone to using British uh, uh, language innovations as, uh, as, as we are in the UK, to using Americanisms. Uh, and he cites examples like, instead of saying to disappear, people are now saying uh, more often went missing, which is something we, we tend to use in the UK. Uh, and something I noticed actually on a, on a recent trip to the US is I was astonished at how many people sign off their emails uh, and, and just say goodbye with cheers. I was in New York about, oh, 12 years ago. And um, that was unheard of then. But it's know. cheers and Americanism. I thought it sounds very British to me. Right. Cheers. Well, it, that's that's the point. That's okay. the point. Yeah, it, it is. A, it is a British thing to say to say cheers for goodbye. Yeah. As well as you know, when when you're raising a glass.
2: Um, but it's, that's pretty common now, isn't it, David? I am seeing that more and more, and it's funny you mention that one because I I'm always surprised by it a little bit. I see it in email sign-offs primarily, I guess. But I've got another good friend of mine. All of a sudden. All of a sudden, he's been signing off his emails. And this guy's from Minnesota. We're both Midwesterners. His signatures now say Grazie. It's become continental. Uh, I don't know if he went. I don't know where that came from. I haven't asked
0: him yet. I work with somebody who who always signed off with chow you know and this guy was yeah. you know this this this, <laughs> this guy would was a redhead who would who was covered in freckles and would burn in the middle of in uh. the middle of a british winter and you know, you know he was from nowhere near italy and he'd still say chow when he said goodbye is spelled so. correctly rob the oh, proper spelled, well what he was saying C O I, whatever. c-i-a-o is that right yeah something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. Yeah, not
2: yeah. just c-h-o-w no no, As no
0: in not chow not the do- yeah yeah no 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 <laughs> anyway
2: um my, my Grazi friend doesn't spell that correctly how does he uh, spell it? He, he leaves the E off the end. There's an E on the end, right? I think, it. I think there uh, is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he yeah, just yeah. put he's an a, I on the end? It's just T-Z-I. All right. <laughs> oh, he's going
0: <laughs> to... Is there a T in it?
2: It's I don't know. Yeah, oh, anyway, anyway. Oh, right. Um, maybe there's no... Yeah, yeah. T-Z-I-E. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, I missed that part. Okay, so the interesting <laughs> thing is,
1: David, that the, you are not aware of any backlash against criticisms. I feel like a court judge saying
2: that. <laughs> uh, no, I'm absolutely not aware of it. I will say, well, reading the piece... It seemed to me that when they dug down, even on the, you know, the British backlash against Americanisms, what it really was, was just tired cliches. Mm. And I wouldn't, like I say, I have no impression of people responding, uh, reacting to things because they're British, you know, but there are some things in that list where I thought, oh yeah, I don't really like that one. Like, for example, wait for it. I just hear that all the time. So I'm just tired of it. So it just strikes me like, like cliches you're tired of. So, there may in fact be some things that we imported from you that we've gotten tired of, but I I have not heard that link that we're tired of them because of their source.
0: Yeah, sure. At the end of the day, it's all about cliches. (laughs) So, um, it, you know, I was talking about uh, talking uh, to a a French friend about, about this yesterday. And we were just saying that language surely is just fluid. And, um, in this age now of, of, Global communications. Oh, yeah. Surely language is just, a, you know, English is just like any other language. It's changing the whole time. Yeah. And to try and artificially, ins, you know, police the language and say, no, you, you can't say that. I mean, that's, that's you know, apart from being a bit stupid, it's just doomed to failure, isn't it? Really? Yeah. It's, just, it's yeah. just unrealistic. Although you do have... um, there are certain languages where you do have committees i know the uh, the academie française has a committee that that uh, <laughs> decides on on wor- on french words can actually makes french words for uh, for you t- typically for things like techno- technological terms um, and, but it, they're not alone I mean the Welsh do this as well the Welsh have a uh, have a, a Welsh language committee and they do things like spell computer but with a W but uh, a, <laughs> a W and no E E-R, just an R I think it's C-M-P-W-T-R something like that but um, yeah it's, it's uh, I, I don't know It strikes me as slightly artificial and, and ultimately futile
2: but, uh, I suppose it's easier for us to say that when we are in the dominant language yeah You know, I mean, if we had a language that we felt was kind of under siege, we might feel a little differently.
0: And Welsh is very, I mean, Welsh definitely falls into that category because, um, I mean, I went to university in Wales and and Mm. went back then, back in the Middle Ages. um, Nobody spoke Welsh apart from this small pocket Mm. in in northwest Mm -hmm. Wales. And they just got a government grant for their own Welsh language um, station. And, And now it's, you know, it's taught, in fact, it's compulsory in schools and um Loads of people are speaking it. So they've actually revived this ancient language. So, good for yeah, So,
2: you know, it's, it's good for them, a I good say. point.
0: Yes, good for them yeah. indeed.
2: Yes. We, uh, my wife and I spent three years uh, near the turn of the century, which I love being able to say now, <laughs> um, living on an Indian reservation in the southwestern states in uh, New Mexico. Wow. And uh, they had this fascinating. I mean, you could, we could spend the whole time on that. But uh, similar kind of thing, you know, the the language so specific and kind of a difficult language from what I understand, Um, almost completely gone. You know, all the kids were speaking English and they were really doing making a major effort to to have them uh, learn it and revive it in their school. But one of the fascinating parts of that was, and I I still have a hard time believing this is true, but it was the Zuni tribe, by the way. Um, They only started developing a written version of their language in the 70s, like the 1970s. Up until that recent, it was completely oral. Isn't that unbelievable? Wow. So how do they represent, what sort of, what letter set did they use, English letters or something else? Well, it's primarily English letters with some, um, I guess I want to say uh, flourishes around yeah, them. Squiggles. But they, they were still in the process of locking it in. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was still part of their community effort was deciding what their written language really looked like. That was amazing to me.
0: That's funny. On, anyway. uh, on, on the way to the uh, the studio here, I was uh, listening to a podcast, listening to uh, MacBreak Weekly, and they were talking about um, audiobooks and actually saying, you know, pe- people saying, if, well, if you've listened to an audiobook, you've not really read the book. Uh, mm. And they were making the point mm. that actually it's only relatively recently that we've started writing things down and actually, you know, for centuries before. All communication was oral communication oh, sure. You know, all yeah. words were just It's
1: just word of mouth So, you know, slightly artificial Also, should we talk about the uh, the app? But the reason I hesitate Is yes. because I just wanted to mention Because mm. you just can't get the staff these days I should have said this at the beginning About your two books, David See if I can oh, yeah. remember them Don't Just Chalk, Chalk Don't Just Talk, Be Heard And QBQ, The Question Behind the
2: Question Beautifully done Can you give us a brief synopsis Just a very brief synopsis of, of what they cover? Well, they're both um, primarily business market books, but they're not really, you know, capital B business books. They're more business culture books. Uh, QBQ is the one I co-wrote, and that is a very simple little book about some techniques to help individuals practice personal accountability. Mm. Um, But it's it's an interesting thing because it does kind of tie into what we're talking about because it's very much language-based, meaning um, it, it identifies that when people are in this kind of a victim-thinking, procrastination, blame mindset, you can identify that by listening to some of the questions they're asking or that they're asking themselves. Like, for example, you know, why is this happening? When is somebody else going to take care of that? Whose, you know, stupid idea was that? And it was very specifically those kind of why, when, and who questions Mm. that are indicators of that kind of mindset. And that if you use a different kind of standard or model for how to create a question, begins with what or how, contains an I, focuses on action. Just asking a different question puts you in a personally accountable mindset. So it's a really simple language-based thing that's really uh, made a big difference for people. And that's been a very successful book. And then my uh, book, Don't Just Talk, Be Heard, is more the workplace communications piece. And that's really based on some observations I made. Well, actually starting out, the, the lead author on that QBQ book, his name is John Miller. I'm the almost more of a ghostwriter on that one. Um, I met him and some other professional speakers back in the mid-90s. I was doing audio production for professional speakers. And I started to notice that there was a difference between the person I would get to know working side-by-side on their project and the person, uh, the impression they would give me as a speaker from the platform. Mm. Uh, In other words, I would like them less during their presentation than I would in person. And that was just a really intriguing thing to me. So I started to, to dig into what specifically were they doing to give me those different impressions, and I started to get some ideas on that, and I started to work with the various speakers on how to, wow. you know, undo that, and it just really made a huge difference for them. So the book ended up being, well, first let me say that all that work initially tended to be individuals, um, you know, managers, executives, speakers, and, uh, but there started to be some things that I would say to everyone, common you know, problems that pretty much everyone was doing the same thing. So that's what uh, Don't Just Talk, Be Heard ended up being. It was the the things I I ended up saying to everyone, the things I thought everybody should know about ways they were hurting their effectiveness.
1: Powerful stuff. I mean, if you can sort of um, choose your words correctly and present yourself uh, in a way that people like you, that's tremendously powerful, isn't it?
2: Tremendously powerful. And the thing that really struck me in it was you know, whenever I was working with someone, it was within a a work context. It was like, I want to be a more effective leader or I want to, you know, make more sales or whatever their role was. But the real impact of it ended up being that it really transformed their just sense of self. Mm. They, They felt completely differently about themselves as people about their place in the world just for having closed this, what I call the communication gap. And it's kind of counterintuitive at first, but the more I thought about it, it was, um, you know, this sounds a little esoteric, but, you know, we go through our lives. We kind of just put ourselves out there the way we do. We do it very instinctively. We just present ourselves the way we do. And what, what gets reflected back to us is never quite what we thought it should be. You know, we know who we are. We know how much we contribute. We know what kind of a caring person we are. And the world just doesn't seem to, I don't know, we don't think in those terms, but it just this like something's getting lost in the translation as it comes back. Well, what's getting lost is that the rest of the world isn't really seeing who we really are. They're only seeing this lesser impression we're giving. Mm. So that's what's getting reflected back. And so when we start to close that gap and start the people in the world around us start to really get who we are, all the goodness that we are, now we start to get reflected back more directly from that. So it, it really just transforms every aspect of our uh, our lives without anyway getting, that was sorry i mean without getting too far into it i mean it's
0: um, <laughs> sorry no no because this intrigues me too mm. is it is it partly because people feel that they need to be someone other than themselves when you know it's like it's kind of an expectation thing that people people think well I, i'm expected to be like this um, maybe they start modeling themselves on someone else and and, and, you know, it's a deeper issue, really, of, of how unless you're true to yourself, you're, you're never going to any, get anywhere. Mm.
2: Is, well, is that fair? There's probably some of that, um, that, you know, we have adapted what we uh, project. But I don't think that's really the heart of, of what I see. What I see is just, it's just the way we are. Uh, I mean, you walk down the street, you see people walking down the street, and it just in an instant – you get some kind of a read on them. What kind of a person they are? Are they, you know, kind of sour? Are they real open and, and you know, pleasant? Are they kind of withdrawn? Everybody sends some variation of those, you know, signals about who they are. Mm. And so, you know, as pattern recognizing and, and extrapolating people, we see that and then we expect that to show up in a whole lot of ways. If someone's, Oh, and also we we also tend to plug in the worst possible interpretation of that. So if someone's reserved, for example, and quiet, um, we're more likely to think they don't like us. They're you know they're arrogant yeah, or something like that. Home. Yeah, right. We plug in things uh, because we don't really know, and and so that's how we we just uh, evaluate them at that level now. So then we are again the link between those impressions. Somewhat negative impressions we have of people and how open we are to them is direct. I mean, the less we like them, the less we listen to what they say. So, anyway, I'm not being very clear with that. I'm sorry, I'm a communication expert except for, <laughs> except for I act <laughs> speak. No, that no, makes sense to me. I could certainly sort of relate to what you were saying, David, because
1: um, a, a friend of mine who I've known for years – and he had a, had a wife sadly she, she's she's passed on recently but she was always a very very quiet person and it was strange i i knew in my heart she was go, she was okay with me but i always felt she didn't like me because she was so quiet and never really sort of communicated openly mm-hmm. so i know where you're coming from well
2: and then when she passed away you discovered she really didn't like you i don't know uh, okay. <laughs> uh,
1: so anyway there's a lot
2: of that it's just in our wiring it's just how we come off to people yeah. and then there's a lot too just in um you know, again, kind of what you were talking about. I mean, we we do say things that we think we're supposed to say, but the biggest thing of all is that we are just absolutely blind to how we come off, whether it's that wiring question or more of a postured thing. We all communicate the way we'd like to be communicated to without even thinking about that. It's just instinctive. And uh, so it's like the golden rule you know, communicate to others the way you'd like to be communicated to. That's what we do instinctively, but it's a terrible idea because it's not what we want to be communicated to. It's how other people need to hear us. So people don't think about what they're going to say. They don't plan things out. They just wing it and go and go and go. And they're giving people all these uh, impressions that are pushing people away and making them less open to us. and, And so they don't have the influence and impact that they really would like to have. You mentioned about um, saying what you
1: want other people to say, which I think is a wonderful segue into what I think is the main thrust of, of today's show, because how to have difficult conversations, David, which I yeah. believe you're a, you're a bit knowledgeable about.
2: Well, thank you for saying <laughs> that. <laughs> I meant that in a positive but way. Didn't come no. was
1: my, that was my Britishisms yeah, coming bit, out, you wasn't it? Yeah, a bit, you see. It's about damning with faint praise. Yes. Harry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, you're a fantastic
0: expert <laughs> on this like area, David. I don't like to overstate <laughs> things. <laughs> yeah, take that as a You know, I do have a section
2: in my programmes um, where I talk about it. And I mean, I give people a, just a little guidance on how to really how to open the conversation, how to kind of plan out what you're going to say to start one of these tough conversations. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the program, but this is the one that people really seem to latch on to the most. So, and I had a nice little webcast the other day on it and people seem to like it. So maybe I, I don't know, maybe I've got a couple things to say on the subject. I'm sure you
1: have. Just before we dive into it, the definition of an awkward, that's my word, awkward, a difficult conversation. Presumably it's like things like sort of firing
2: someone or asking for a raise or things like that. I think those definitely uh, fall into the category. For me, the definition isn't anyone you, you're, you're dreading having. Mm. You know, if, if, if you really don't want to have the conversation, then that's it. So it could be, you know, I think the ones I deal with mostly directly are Uh, a manager or a supervisor having to talk to a direct report of theirs but it could also be a a presentation it could be i've had some conversations with salespeople and and a customer where things have kind of you know gone bad i don't get into the uh at least in my in my work i don't get into the relationship and family stuff that's a little yeah uh, yeah outside of my realm so have you got some tips for us then david Yeah, sure. Um, The main thing I offer, and by the way, credit where it's due, this is a modified version of uh, something I actually originally came across in a book called, originally enough, Difficult Conversations. Um, But it's just, it's a a four-step guideline, outline, really, for just how to open the conversation. Mm. And I say four steps, but it's really just almost like four sentences strung together into an opening. Uh, And the four steps, I'll just give them to you real quick. Uh, Observation, concern enthusiastic vision, and hand it back. Mm. Observation, concern, enthusiastic vision, hand it back. Observation is you just want to start the conversation by stating an objective, observable fact. For example, this is the third time this month you've been late. It yeah. really needs to be something that's not debatable. If there's, if, if there's any way the other person could challenge it, then it's not observable. That's really critical. Because if you do say something that's debatable, that's where the conversation goes. You end up debating your opening statement Rather than talking about what you need to talk about,
1: yeah, it becomes a game of tennis, then, doesn't it? Backwards and forwards. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And you know, they they get on defense, and the conversation just goes nowhere. So you start start with an observable fact, then concern. Concern is, you know, looking forward. Why is this a problem? What might be bad if it continues? So you started out with third time you've been late. Uh, My concern is, well, two actually, one we're not going to hit the deadline. Uh, two, worse, if it continues, it might even mean, you know, you, it's the wrong position for you. You can't stay on the team. So just a real simple sentence. What are you concerned about it? What might it mean? Then enthusiastic vision is the flip side of your concern statement. You want to really tie these two together. You know, it could mean this, but it also could be this if it went well. So, for example, um, you've just finished saying, you know, it might mean you couldn't be on the team. So, and I say, no, I don't think it needs to be that way. I think we can still, you know, get it done on time. I think you can be a great part of the team. I certainly want that to be the case. Mm. So, again, you're, you're stating your positive vision for where it could go and then hand it back. You're just inviting them to comment. And it's really important here. Don't be making a suggestion. You're just saying, you know, but like I say, I do have some concerns. I wanted to let you know about that and see what you, you know, what you thought about the situation, basically. So that's really it. So you tie it all together just real quick. It'd be like, you know, Andy, I got something to talk to you about. This is the third time this month you've been late. Uh, my concern is, well, first, we're not going to hit the deadline. But worse than that, if it continues, it might even mean, you, you know, you can't stay on the team. Mm. Now, I don't think that needs to be the case. I mean, I, I, I think we can make it. I really think you can be a great part of the team. I want that to be the case. But like I said, I've, I've got some concerns, and I wanted to just let you know about that and see what you thought. So, so, so that's that, really it. So
0: those four, st- those four categories. Then the four, the four steps. The, the the labels for them:
2: observation, observation, concern, enthusiastic vision, hand it back, hand it back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess
0: people, people can get very, very defensive in the in those situations, can't they? It's uh, where you've got the um, the the enthusiastic vision. I mean, that's. Is there sometimes a, an implied threat in there? It's you know kind of oh, you know nice, nice job. Uh, shame if anything was to happen to it. That, 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 <laughs> that,
1: that, that was that, so British. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: kind of thing.
1: You know? <laughs> a nice job. Uh, nice job. It'd be s- such a shame. If, uh, such a shame. Something happened. <laughs>
0: So, so that wouldn't be the right approach then, really. <laughs> Sorry, being yeah. flip here. I don't think
1: David was suggesting that No, at all. no,
0: no. But the, but there is isn't there is an implied threat there, isn't there? You know, it's, um, well, you know the I'd concern. really like
2: to see you. Okay, so you've got the concern there. You know, the yeah. concern step, it's, it's not even implied. It's like, if this continues, it might mean this is not the right job for you, you know. Mm. If this continues, it might mean, you know, whatever the threat is. Yeah. And it, but again, the thing that makes this work is that it's not actually a threat. You're not saying you know, you've let me down, I'm, you know, going to punish you. You're saying, you know, as anyone would look at the same situation and say, if this continues, it might mean this job is not a good fit for you, right? It's not, it's not a personal thing. Mm. And also when you open with the observation, it's also not a challenge. There's no judgment in any of this. It's just really, you're sharing an authentic concern. And if you say it right, that observations, I mean, that concern step, it's it's a concern for them, right? I mean, you have to assume they want the job. Uh, you're you're really on their side, and then especially when you tie it with that enthusiastic vision step, you're not really coming down. You're just inviting them to a brighter future. You know, mm. it's it's really hard to be defensive. Yeah, I mean, I, people can do it. You know, but one of the things I there's like there's nothing to, inherently in here that puts people off.
0: Ab- absolutely, no, that's. That 's what I like about this technique actually it does strike me as uh, you know it should be immensely powerful. The fact that you start with with an irrefutable fact you know if you if you choose that carefully, then straight away you 've got somebody you know they 've got nowhere to go have they you know if you say this is the third time you 've been late this month, they either right. have or they haven 't right you know so exactly. so you know s- straight away it's you know the the defenses are down mm. you 're not yep. saying i don't think you're pulling your weight you know you 're not saying um you know, everybody else seems to be carrying you. That—that's all debatable, isn't it? But to say exactly. you know, it's the third time. Um, exactly. And the other thing I like about this is, you know, I, I used to have um, a manager who um, his his style of management was to use what I politely term a criticism sandwich. There are stronger. Less I was going to ask about this—the
1: Oreo cookie approach. You go mm-hmm. on, go on. The, yeah, the Oreo cookie. Yeah, because I was wondering what you felt about these, David, these sort of quote-unquote traditional methods where you say something positive, then you say the negative, and then you finish off with something positive again. Are they sort of out of fashion these days? Or
2: You know, it always depends on the individual situation. Um, I do think it's, it's important to, if you've got something tough to say, you, d- you definitely want to start with something that gets them open to that. I mean, one of the things I talk about, I've never heard the Oreo, but it's the same kind of thing, really, is um, lead with the relationship. So no matter what you've got to talk about, let the beginning of it be something, some kind of human connection. It doesn't have to be all, you know, how's the kids and all that. It just has to be something that, well, really the key is, whatever the situation, just first address the emotional reality of it. Like, for example, if you've got a tough conversation, you could open and say, so, you know, neither of us are really looking forward to having this conversation. Right. But mm-hmm. just that little bit of emotional authenticity connects and opens them up. Yeah. So you need to do something then, but you know, so it would be, I, I would, uh, your question about the Oreo, I think theoretically it's a great idea. People could easily, I think, use that in kind of a cynical way, you know, mm. Hey, I really love those shoes, but geez, you're a jerk. <laughs> well, the other yeah. thing is,
0: you, you know, if you're used to, if you're used to hearing it, um, two things happen. Um, One is, you know, if it's overused. One is, you know, you're waiting Mm. for the criticism. So someone says, you you know, you've done really well recently. Yeah, yeah, come on, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's the bad Uh, news? And and the second thing (laughs) is that you you (laughs) undermine or praise. Because every because that you're just going to instantly oh, yeah. think you're going to say well, you didn't really mean that you were just you were just trying to soften me up to mm. yeah. to say what you really felt weren't you yeah, you that's know a good point and um and then the praise at the end if you say but you know I think you're doing a really good job um that again is you know you'll forget that so there are two there are two items of praise there that have just been completely disregarded yeah. um and th- and that I think if you disregard praise. And, and you start to become quite quite sceptical and quite cynical about those things, um, then that could be the beginning of the end of a, of a, a good management relationship, couldn't it? Because you could say, yeah. oh, you know, the only time she ever uh, gives me any any uh, yes. positive uh, input is when she's just about to criticize me, mm. or when she's just criticized. But I think me. when you're
1: yeah. like, like David, you said uh, a few seconds ago, authenticity. I think if you praise in an authentic way, where you can, you really are talking from your heart. Like I appreciate the way you did this, or that, yeah. it's like it's like the visionary bit at the end you were talking about, where you see a positive vision. That's, I mean, that's just authentic, isn't it? It,
2: it is, and it makes a and, um, and what really popped into my head as you were saying that was. First of all, it's a great point about how you can undercut even the value of the praise. So, the the trick then, I think, would be to, you know, make a point as the leader to intentionally offer praise other times. Yeah. You know, unqualified praise. Um, And then, so they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't only associate it with the Oreo, you know, kind of presentation. Mm. And a lot of times, actually, you know, I'll just jump off just for a second here. I talked earlier about how... um, some of the stuff, most of the stuff that I look to with my Don't Just Talk Be Heard stuff is based on kind of wiring and just how they come off. And so the solutions for that a lot of times are not just to say, you know, next time you have a meeting, do this um, or a difficult conversation, do this. It's really more like if people have a general impression of you that you don't really care about us, for example, because, you know, for example, one of them is always the only time you praise us is when you're about to you know, whack us on the head. So they, have, they, have, they formed this general impression of you. So then you have to strategize doing some things differently over a period of time to change their baseline impression of you. Mm. So it's not based – it's not uh, – your effort is not directed to individual conversations. It's more a larger strategy to communicate differently, to let people see you as a different kind of person. And once they do that, then you can get away with some of these little faux pas. Yeah, You know, it's like you got this cranky uncle, right? And everybody, everybody who meets them first is like, God, what's wrong with that guy? He's just such a jerk. But everybody in the family, like, well, they just totally love him. That's just him, you know? Mm. So you want to be like that. If you, uh, my stuff is so much about authenticity. It's not about changing necessarily or, you know, trying to not be so, I don't know, jerky. Maybe you don't, do want to be less jerky, but it's not about trying to change who you are. It's trying to. Let people better understand who you are underneath that. You know, you're never going to change your your overall style of how you just react and all that. That's a really hard thing to try and change. But you can do some other things strategically. For example, you're a leader, a pretty senior leader, and people have that expectation that you don't really care about them. You're about the numbers or whatever. Well, so then in your presentations to the group, you start doing a better job of lifting up individuals, Mm. speaking about them directly, specifically talking about the emotions. You know, I was talking to Betty the other day and she told me this great story about how she kind of went above and beyond with a customer. And she said, I just totally love that. But I especially loved, you could just tell as she told it, how great she felt about it. Mm. So they start to talk like that, right? And the impression people get is, you know what, I guess, I guess they're actually they kind of get it. They kind of understand us emotionally. They they seem interested in people and what's important to them and now their baseline impression of you changes and now everything else you do just kind of they're more open to everything else you do
0: i mean you just got anyway. you just got to be yourself haven't you and yeah. you know there's and this room you know this room for all these different personalities just we yeah. were all the same it would just be, be dull
1: well, I think it's about time we moved on, Rob. A couple of quick announcements before we wind up. Yeah, I've just Wrap up. Y-
0: yeah, I've just got one actually. Um, before we disappear, before we go missing, if you're listening to this um, on our, um, our publication date, then there's still just a, a bit of time. Just a, a shameless plug, actually, for a webinar um, which is called uh, "How to Supercharge Any Sentence in 60 Seconds." Now, this is the first time. But at, uh, at Emphasis, who I work for, this is the first time that we've ever put part of our most popular course, High Impact Business Writing, mm. into a, a, a web-based seminar. Um, the idea being that you never really get these techniques, you never really understand them unless you try them. So 45-minute webinar, um, completely free, um, uh, and it's still, still just about time to register. Just go to writing-skills.com and, and follow the links and, uh, and sign up if that interests you. Fantastic.
2: Sounds great.
1: So, David, thank you so much for joining us from Wisconsin. My great pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. It's really fun. And it's goodbye from me, Andy White. And from me, Rob Ashton. Thanks. Goodbye. See you later. Bye bye.
2: Thank
0: you for listening to this podcast. Communication Lab was brought to you by Emphasis Business Writing Trainers. Sign up for free training at www.writing skills.com.